Thanks so much for tuning in to the Book People podcast. You can purchase signed copies of any of the books you hear on the show through our website, bookpeople.com. If you know someone that would be interested in this episode, please share and help us grow our community. Thanks so much for listening. Hello, Austin. And if you're visiting from somewhere else, that's awesome, too. You came all the way here, and we love it. Um, Thank you all so much for coming out tonight. We're really excited to be hosting Ransom Rigs for the fifth book in the Peculiar Children series. We've actually got Ransom's wife and (laughs) best-selling... best-selling novelist here, so we all know Tahira Mafi. She wrote The Very Large Expanse of Sea and the Shatter Me novels. Please help me in welcoming Tahira Mafi and Ransom Riggs to Austin, Texas. Hello. How are you guys? Hi. Hi. Um, this is amazing. So I uh, woke up this morning um, in a van. Not Well, I didn't wake up in the van, but I was traveling in a van <laughs> from a distant point of Texas by myself with my, my publicist and our lovely uh, helper, AJ. And um, uh, my, my lovely wife, Tahada, surprised me in the middle of the day and out of nowhere. So we're lucky enough to have her here tonight, too, and I'm so excited. So thank you guys all for being here. And we get a little treat. Um, this, was, this was not my plan. I was not planning on sitting here. I dragged here. her up here. <laughs> she was not like, I'm going to be part of the event. I was like, you have to come too. So I don't I, have to be alone on stage, which isn't my favorite thing to do. I'm just, I'm just happy to, um, to, to make big moony eyes at my husband in front of all of you guys. Um, <laughs> it's just, it's just very nice to see him. Um, so glad you guys are out here tonight. Thank you for coming out to celebrate the fifth book in the Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children series. Uh, Conference of the Birds is possibly my favorite book in the series, but that's how I feel every time he writes a book. I'm like, this is it. This one's my favorite. You're biased, though. They just keep getting better. Um, it's just really amazing. Who here has read it? Has anybody here read the book yet? Oh, wow. Oh, okay. just got it. Oh, well, I mean, some people, you know, like, some people read while they're waiting for the event, even. That's true. Um, How many people have read the first paragraph? <laughs> okay, see? we got a few. See? Okay. <laughs> it's a great first paragraph, right? What do you think right? so far? <laughs> okay. Um, it's yeah. been out for a week? Ish. So why don't, goodness. do you want to talk a little bit about it and describe what it's about? Yeah. So no, I don't want to talk about what it's about. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's the fifth book, uh, in the series, the sixth Miss Peregrine book, because there was, um, the Tales of the Peculiar also. So technically number six, but it's the fifth book and not everyone has read all five or all four that comes before this, or even the first one. Some people are like, I don't know what I'm doing here, but, um, so I don't want to talk too much about the, this book because it would just be filled with spoilers for any of you who haven't read up to this point, but it's, um, you know, more breakneck action. There's a lot of politics. Uh, this second trilogy takes place in America because I really wanted to explore the world of peculiar America and turn the whole gothic European vibe on its head a little bit. So everyone came over to Jacob's house in Florida and sort of went from there. And there's a, and this isn't too big a spoiler. There's a lot of peculiar gangs, sort of like uh, crime families almost. They're not quite that sinister, but um, there's a lot of politics. There's a potential war that might break out, and there is, is um, uh, problematic and difficult peacemaking that's happening sort of in the background of this book. So that's as much as I want to say 
Most of the questions I get are about how the book came about in the first place, how the series came about, why'd you do that, where'd you get that idea, that's weird, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Stuff like that. And it is a- Wait, 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 okay, can I just tell them a story? Mm. So like the other day- <laughs> Is this relevant? It is. Okay. So he looks up the weirdest stuff and he'll randomly like talk to me and be like, did you know there was like a landslide of graves? Like this actually happened? And I'm like, what were you researching? Like he's writing the last book in the, the next, the next book, the official chronologically sixth book in the series now. Um, and it's so good. Um, and he was researching something. I don't know if I can talk about that, but like, he, you can talk about this more in depth, but he literally was researching. Like he wanted to know whether or not it had, it had ever rained like tombs before. No, or no, like... no. I wanted to know if it had rained fish. Uh, or, or if that was separately, if there was a been different a, incident, a graveyard landslide, a graveyard landslide. And he was like, and there was, and then he proceeded to tell me about this in great detail. Now I was riveted. In grave detail. <laughs> Yes, I, I live for this. I love these terrible jokes. Um, <laughs> but no, really though, like, so I am one of the people who also will ask you, like, where do you and why do you look up this sort of thing? But it turns out to be extremely relevant. Yeah. Just I wanted really to know, know, it really is. He's always like this. Do you guys, we don't have to talk about graveyard landslides, but it's a real thing. <laughs> and you know what was to blame? Gophers. <laughs> Gophers dug up the graveyard and then a rainstorm filled everything up and it just went sliding down into the suburban neighborhood below and filled their grocery stores with old cowboy graves. So so we have gophers ripping up our backyard right now and Ransom was like, well, the graves are coming. <laughs> I don't think anyone's buried in our suburban neighborhood, but you never know. You never know. So, um, gosh, what was I talking about? Oh, I was trying to figure out how to tell you about the beginning of the book series. Um which is a, a long story that I like to compress a lot. Uh, it all started when I was a little kid growing up in suburban Florida, which is the land of um, garage sales and flea markets and secondhand stores and junk that people, you know, shine up and put a price tag on. And my grandmother used to take me to garage sales on Saturday afternoons. And um, I, you know, had to find a way to entertain myself while she was shopping for deals on dime novels and lightly used socks and stuff. And so I would find these old photos, like shoeboxes of old photos. And um, one day I found one, I was 11 or 12, I found one that looked like a little girl who I had sort of an innocent crush on at summer camp. And I bought it, paid 10 cents, took it home. It was in a little cardboard frame. And uh, it sat on my nightstand with my baseball cards for a few months. And then I took it out of the frame because I was going to put it in an album or something. And I, for the first time I saw the back of it and it said, Dorothy, uh, Chicago, 1933, died of leukemia, age 13. And I'd never known anyone my own age who passed away when I was a kid. And it hit me really hard. I felt like I'd been living with this little smiling ghost in my room. And that was the moment that the power of these little slips of paper 
sort of hit me and it stayed with me. Then I didn't collect photos for another 20 years or something. Um, so the narrative breaks a little bit there. But uh, at the end of grad school, I was in LA. I was um, trying to furnish my apartment cheaply and I went to uh, swap meet. LA has many and they're legendary and huge. And um, I found a booth at this swap meet that sold only old photos. And they were like really well curated and a lot more than 10 cents or like 10 bucks, but they were good. And so I didn't buy any furniture. Instead, I bought old photos. And <laughs> there began my rekindled obsession with these things. And they seemed to find me, these old, like, especially creepy Edward Gorey-esque pictures of, like, little girls holding huge oversized dolls with no eyes and, you know... This is stuff that you come to associate with the Miss Peregrine series. Started, I feel like they started to find me. Um, so I was finding those, and I also kept turning them over because I just look for text everywhere. Looking at the writing on the back, you know, like the Dorothy photo, looking for writing. And weirdly, right away, I found a picture. It was a very banal picture on the front, uh, like a blurry wall. And on the back it said, the wall where we found a baby girl... Christmas Eve 1960 or something. And then it said her name was Dorothy. They kept her and named her Dorothy. So, I don't know, Dorothy's been following me in creepy ways ever since. None of you are named Dorothy, right? It's not a common name. So, um, I, I took these two, I started collecting these two genres and I made a book out of one called Talking Pictures, which is pictures with uh, text on the back. And I made another book out of the other one called Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, which I hope you've heard of because you're here. Um, and that, the origin story of the book is sort of another thing. I mean, it, 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 uh, I, it was almost a book of poetry, except my um, editor said that was a super dumb idea, so I didn't do that. Then it was almost a book of letters, like a novel told in the form of letters that Jacob was writing to a girl back home who halfway through the book you find out passed away in a car crash. And then you have to wonder if the kids on the island were real or just like a PTSD fantasy or some sort of vision. And I got about halfway through this book and I was getting frustrated. And I, I said, I want the kids to be real. I want the island to be real. And I want this magical world to be real. It was the kind of book, the kind of fiction I loved to read when I was a kid, portal stories. I want that real world here and the magical world there. And the separation between them is really thin. And you can, if you can find it, you can go there. So I threw, I threw that away and I rewrote the story much as it is today. And um, I had to go and find all these old pictures because uh, I had a few, but I knew I needed a lot more if I were going to find 40 or 50 that would be good enough to be in a book and, you know, represent all my characters and everything. So I started to cultivate relationships with the, the, the folks who collect professionally these old pictures and sell them, which there, there are people who make a living or like almost make a living doing this. And um, uh, they let me into their homes and attics and creepy basements. And I uh, was able to use a lot of their stuff and buy things and scan things. And anyway, that's where Miss Peregrine came from. And um, that usually covers about 80% of the questions I get. The rest are just hostile, like, uh, you know, why'd you kill Fiona? Did you kill Fiona? And I'm like, I, I'm not spoiling it, guys. People keep asking me if Fiona's dead. And I'm like, wouldn't it be sadistic if I made you wait this long and then the day you got the book, I spoiled it? <laughs> so not telling. Um, but I want to talk a little bit. You guys wrote questions. Thank you very much. And... Um, 
Todd is going to interrogate me using your questions. I'm just going to moderate a little and bit. And then we'll have a little back and forth or something. Yeah, these are great questions. Um, is it okay if I tell you guys, because some of you, you left your names here. Is it okay if I say your names? Yeah. Are there okay. phone numbers too? Yeah. <laughs> Social security numbers, all kinds of things. <laughs> just kidding. Um, okay, here's a question that I like because I feel like I know the answer here. Uh, I can't really read the writing. This question is from Kamina. Is that right? Karina? Karina? <laughs> Maybe? I write like kindergarten. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll ask the question and then and you can confirm. Um, do you personally relate to any aspect of the story or characters? If so, how? Is that you? Yeah. I think I felt a little bit a little bit strange and, and peculiar when when I was a kid um, I mean I was like you know a straight white kid growing up in a straight white town so I wasn't as peculiar as I thought in retrospect but I felt you know like there were things I was interested in and loved that like I didn't know a lot of people who liked them and it took me a while to find my tribe I ended up in high school going to a uh, um, summer camp uh, for writing and, and um, creative writing and poetry and fiction and stuff. And I found a lot of people there who felt like they, I understood them and I made some lifelong friends. Um, but it took me a while and I felt like out of sort of out of place in, in sunny Southern Florida, which was mostly full of retirees and stuff. And so, you know, Jacob is to a certain degree, me as a kid, like looking for that magical portal, um, except I found mine through fiction, you know, spending summer days on my mom's waterbed reading C.S. Lewis and Stephen King and stuff. And, you know, Enoch is a jerk and so am I, so. <laughs> and Millard is the nerd at the party who corners you with facts you didn't ask for, and that's me too. All the characters have, like, a certain aspect of my personality. Um, I don't want to comment on that, but... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's nice things about me too. I just They're all wonderful things. All wonderful things. Um, so this is kind of a follow-up to that. And there were a couple of people who asked the same question off hand. I see Kate, Kate and one other person who did not leave a name. Um, are any of the characters inspired by anyone, you know, and if so, who one, can you guys guess who? <laughs> Miss Peregrine. Someone said Miss Peregrine. Ricky Pickering, the re the punk redneck friend from the first book, was inspired by a real punk redneck guy I knew who actually drove an old Crown Victoria that he would make money from by letting people hit with a golf club for a dollar swing. <laughs> He's actually weirder than the character in the book. He worked at an alligator farm. He was pretty amazing. Isn't truth so much stranger than fiction? But I was like, at a certain point, people aren't going to believe it, so I just have to tone it down a little totally do, do you ever feel like you do that often not just with ricky pickering but like with other characters because i feel like i come across this with regularity sometimes i read things in the news like random headlines like florida man stuff and like if you put this in a book no one would believe it oh of course all the time right it would be like a carl heisen novel or something you just roll your eyes but it's all true. Yeah. There must be a Texas man out there. Florida man gets all the crap. So what about um, other characters in your story who are not literally inspired by people you knew, but like 
you know, you've talked a little bit about how, um, you know, you grew up with really strong women. Your grandmother was such a strong influence in your life. And, you know, Miss Peregrine is kind of like this, that same sort of character. This sort of like inspiring matriarch character. Yeah. No, I think that that's very observant. You must know me really well. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I think there's definitely some of my grandmother in Miss Peregrine. My grandmother was a, um, she was a farmer's wife, had four kids, helped run the farm, and she was also a, 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 a much respected and feared teacher at a private girls' academy where she taught Latin and French and English. And uh, she was an amazing lady, and she inspired my love of reading. Um, and as a kid, not only did she, you know, take me to um, uh, garage sales, but she also uh, she read a book every single day, and. Uh, she was just, she had like fierce opinions and fierce and like very liberal opinions about things. And for a lady from the place she was, that was unusual. I think she always felt different and everyone around her and she wasn't afraid to speak her mind. So I had a lot of respect for her. So you think it's safe to say that Miss Peregrine has some of her attributes? I think that's safe to say. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Switching gears just a little bit. Um, this is another question from Karina, which I really like. Uh, maybe you can answer this question for me too. Any tips for someone who loves to write, but isn't sure how to create a storyline? <laughs> I think you've got it covered. She'll, I'll, I won't see her for a few hours and I'll be like, where'd you go? And she'll be like, I started another book. <laughs> oh my God. Your brain is amazing. Um, yes. Well, I would say there's so many things. You have to turn off the inner critic, which you know, if you're a human being, is probably very loud in your head and telling you, you suck, that's bad. Because um, when you, if you want to write, I would say you probably also love to read. And if you love to read, you probably have really good taste in books. And the books you love and want to emulate feel like, you know, unreachable. You wouldn't, you, I could never write anything that good. Um, so you're going to always compare everything you write to things that you love, but it's going to take a lot of practice before your skill level catches up with your taste. So, um, the enemy, uh, the enemy of that process is, is self-criticism. So you have to just keep going and, and turn it off. It's my number one piece of advice. What do you think? Well, I think it's interesting that her question is so, um, I mean, I think that's excellent advice, but I'm also, I'm interested in whether or not, um, this question is about like the specific problem of creating a storyline, like plot, right? Like I feel like sometimes people are able to write story, but it doesn't necessarily like, you know, you can write a lot, but, it, but is it, is it going anywhere? Is anything happening? How do you develop that storyline? And I think I, I just, I kind of relate to that. I understand that because when I first started out, when I first started writing, um, I'd never, I've never taken a creative writing course ever in my life. And, um, I've now published 10 novels, um, and I've written more, many more than that, but I still don't know how to name what it is that I do. So I just do it kind of on instinct and it's as a result of having read many, 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 many books um, that I just know instinctually like, oh, okay, well, there needs to be like a thing that happens right away, right? And it wasn't until I met other authors that I was, that I learned that that thing that happens right away is called an inciting incident, 
there are words for these things. There are books on craft and, and story. And um, I, when I started learning the names for these things, it was like some kind of freedom. Like, oh, okay, there's a system. And when there's a system, there's a, like, there's some predictability. And when you can rely on like, okay, well, if this scene isn't working, well, maybe it's missing something. Is this the first act, the second act, the third act? Is there a climax? Like those basic things will really help you figure out how to put a story together. Learning how to name them was especially um, helpful for me. So just... Yeah. I agree with that. But if you have not, you know, read a lot of books or consumed a lot of stories, then you can, you can read about structure and be like, I don't get it. But if you just read a ton of books, it feels innate. And you're like, oh, I recognize that three act structure. That pattern is like in everything. It's like the secret key becomes uh, the code, you know, the, the matrix you can see inside the matrix. And you're like, oh, everyone is doing the same thing. They're just, it's variations on the same thing. But so uh, what I find really interesting about the way that you work, um, and I'm in this unique position of being married to a writer. I get to, I literally, I sit next to him every single day and I get to watch him work. I get to read his draft. I get to drafts. I get to see how his mind works. And, um, I don't know if you guys know this, but Ransom went to school to make movies. He went to film school and for, um, years also wrote screenplays and his mind is like this gorgeous, incredible place. It really is fascinating to see how the gears in his head move and turn. And he approaches story so with such like visual prowess. Um, and, and you notice, I mean, his books have photos in them. It's almost like he's a director casting a film, you know, like these are the actors in his movie. And, um, and, and it's, and it's amazing how he manages to like to weave these, the visual and the, and the, and the text together. And I've often, um, just been so impressed with the way that you approach your story. Every scene is like, I can see your director's eye, the way that you open, the way that you move. It's like the camera's moving, zooming in, zooming out. You get the whole scene, like the way that you approach story and your experience with film and also with writing screenplays is so unique because you know exactly how to fit all these pieces together and how to bring that dramatic visual element to play. Um, I mean, do you want to talk about that a little bit and how that informed how, how you shifted, how you went from writing screenplays, how you went from writing, you know, making movies to writing screenplays to then writing books and how you've managed to like build a career that encompasses all of those things. That was very nice. Thank you for all those compliments. I appreciate it. <laughs> um, yes, I did go to film school. Um, and when I was writing Miss Peregrine, I was also like peddling a screenplay around Hollywood and, and getting a lot of like, very nice rejections. Um, but I had spent three years learning how to tell stories with pictures. And so these photos that I discovered felt like another way into that, that I found really appealing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I feel like the visual is very important to me. Not even, I mean, leave the photos aside. I still have to be able to visualize a world and um, uh, I have to know where I am in the scene. And I feel like if I'm not rooted geographically in a place, I can't really tell the story properly. And if, you know, the, the atmosphere of a, of a place affects my characters and everything. So it doesn't really start there for me, but it, if that doesn't exist, it doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel like I've got my hands around it. 
I love how you write. I love how you, she's like this emotional surgeon and her, um, acuity, uh, like the inner workings of the human heart are, that's like what I want to, you know, what I'm trying to learn from you is how to write about the moments, the tiny moments that make up our inner world. Um, so I think I'm good at the outer world and you're really good at the inner world and, you know, I think you're great at both. It's very cool. You're great at both. Um, and if you have not yet purchased your copy of the conference of the birds, you will be very happy. Uh, when a very large expensive seat available in the adult section. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) We're moving on now. Um, you're an excellent writer. I love the way you write. Is that one of the questions? Yes. That's from Tahita. Um, Okay, this we're going to switch things up a little bit. Okay. Funny question. Lightning round. Oh, we're, we could totally do that. Um, but I actually like this question because I've never asked you this question, and I'm super curious. Noah wants to know, have any of the Victorian trick photos given you nightmares? I don't easily get nightmares. I think if I did, it would be hard for me to write these books. <laughs> yeah. It would be a problem. My dreams are, like, rather banal. We'll wake up in the morning and she'll be like, I had these crazy dreams about this and that. I'll be like, I dreamed about programming the microwave. (laughs) I'm very well rested. And then the dark side of my psyche comes out in the books. So I guess that's how it expresses itself. Yeah, that's true. That actually happened. That story about the microwave. It's true. Um, Okay. Well, I guess not then. They give me nightmares. I'm like regularly like, I mean... (laughs) When I met Ransom, I was like, wow, you're so great and so wonderful. Like, what's something you for sure, like, this is, what's your weird thing? You've got to have a thing. You must be, like, some kind of. I was like, well, the weird thing about me is that I collect um, weird old pictures of children. (laughs) But I don't hide it. It's right out there. Yeah. And I was like, oh, thank God. It's, I already know about it. But, um, yeah, like we really have these like creepy photos all around our house and I have to like every once in a while, just like put the, the the picture frames down, you know, like knock them over, hide them, put them in drawers. Um, (laughs) I just don't like them. They're like, mostly they're in drawers. Now they are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. Moving on. (laughs) Oh, okay. This is a good one. They're all good. Caleb G. wants to know, have any plot lines or settings been influenced by places you've lived? And I'm going to add to this, or visited. Well, yeah, for sure. Um, well, Florida, where I grew up, clearly, is uh, everything is, is very modeled after Englewood, Florida, the place I grew up is also the place where Jacob lives and many of the geographical details and silly things about that place are just true, lifted from reality. Um, I mean, there's a lot of loops in the world that uh, are real places that I've been. There, um, uh, I, I have a love of abandoned places, and um, I was I was really taken with uh, urban exploration and urbex photography before I wrote the books. And when I was writing the first book, I was looking very specifically at one house in Belgium that was like beautifully decayed, and it looked like it was being suspended in the air by vines and stuff. And, um, that's what I modeled the house after. And then when it came time to make the book trailer, which used to be a thing people did, um, I said, I'll make the book trailer because I can find this house. So I contacted the photographer who took those actual pictures and, and I went to 
Belgium. And he, uh, I was like, will you show me where the house is? And he was like, sure, man, I'll drive you there. It's like, okay, well, I guess I, I, hopefully I won't get murdered. He turned out to be a really nice guy. <laughs> Named Martin, and anyway, we drove to the house and a lot of other interesting places, and that's um, that's so that's like a a real world thing that got written into the fiction and then became part of my real world again when I visited it, and then um, Tahara got me a very thoughtful and cool birthday present years ago, which was a architectural model of the house in its state of decay, um, and then Tim Burton almost shot the movie there. They went and scouted it, but it was too broken. They actually couldn't like go inside or it would fall down on them, which would have been bad. Um, and, you know, London, you would think that that was a place, but I hadn't really been there until I wrote Hollow City, and I, it occurred to me that I was setting a lot of the book in a place I had not really been. So then we went and I was like, oh, good. I like this place. I'm glad <laughs> I forced myself to go. Yeah, we did like this whole really in-depth tour of London, like the Transportation Museum and like all kinds of museums, like all the cathedrals. And um, it was very cool because like I was just there along for the ride, like fascinated by like all these these nooks and crannies of London that I never would have explored otherwise like devil's acre is really inspired by a real place yeah it was a real like um uh infamously dangerous slum in 19th century england and um we went to the exact streets that were like you know no-go zones and like just you know supposed to be horrible and it's like fancy condos and coffee shops now, of course. So, but I like that tension. I like that. So, you know, when the, when the peculiars come out of Devil's Acre, it's like, you know, would you like a hipster taco? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are some of my favorite moments. What about the Panlupticon locations? Well, the Panlupticon was necessary because the peculiars had to travel a lot in order to solve problems. And I was like, man, how do I get them around? I had a I had an actual problem. I really wanted to see a lot of loops in the world, but you know, having them like buy plane tickets and go to all it was just not practical. So I had to invent a sort of pseudo portal and um I really I thought it would be cool if it was a hallway of doors, each one leading to a different loop. But there's no real pan looptican that I modeled no. that after. That's not a real thing. <laughs> I wish it were. No, it just felt like a really cool thing. I didn't mean the Panlupticon itself. I meant like the, the destinations. But Oh, right. Yes. It was just a thing I wish existed. I it's sort of a riff on the um, Panopticon, which was a futuristic prison back in the day, designed by a man named Jeremy Bentham. So a little bit of concordance there. Um, okay, this is just a really interesting like fascinating uh, message from Gigi who says, I grew up next to Santa Claus, Georgia in Lyons. What made you choose that area for portal? Very cool. Very cool. Um, I was looking, I was hoping there was a town called portal somewhere in the U S and it turned out there was, and it was in Georgia. And I was like, just, I will do this sometimes. I'll just zoom around in Google earth kind of kind of like you know half mile up and just see what's there and funny stuff pops up everywhere i go i'm like what is that you know and um just the weirdest town names so i just googled like funniest town names in georgia and that was one of them hope you like it georgia um okay let's do like three more okay all right i know you talked about this no you didn't really talk about this 
but I find this an interesting question. I'm sure you've talked about it while you've been on tour. Um, as an author, do you find it disingenuous? I find this word very interesting. Disingenuous when cinema changes the story, especially details that don't need to be changed. This is from Courtney. Well, I guess we can argue all day about what needed to be changed, but um, I do think that for an adaptation to be really good, the filmmaker can't be too slavishly, um, uh, you know, faithful to the original. I think Tim Burton needed to make it his own. Um, and he certainly did that. Now, do I wish that the film had been made in such a way that I could, there could easily be like a Hollow City sequel that would match the book? Yeah, that would have been nice. But I really think it's a, a work of beauty. And um, it's, uh, it's like, it's not the house that I made, but it's the house down the street. So it's kind of the same world, but, you know, well, it's a little bit different. And, and that's all right. I never actually asked him why he changed the two characters powers but uh i i think it was a gut instinct where you know he needed he felt like he wanted the love interest to have like a floaty aspect to her and when you're telling a story visually instead of in text things have different impacts and from that level i can understand it okay all right. Um, this, I know you've already talked about like how you came to write Miss Peregrine, but um, we can answer this question for the other books you've written, for tales, for anything else you're working on. Uh, I find this an interesting craft question. How long, from Hannah, how long from when you first thought of the idea to when you actually started writing? How long did it take? When I started writing? Like, I think like what she's asking week. is, like, how long do you incubate an idea mm -hmm. before you actually start writing? A f you know, a few weeks, maybe a few months. It depends on if I have other obligations at the time. Um, but if I'm creating a new world from scratch, and it's a fantasy world of any kind, like a magical world at all, I like to... Um, I like to let it incubate a little bit and um, take inspiration from other places. Because when I start thinking about a new world and dreaming it up, it changes how I consume other things. It changes the kind of books I want to read and the kind of movies I want to watch and start getting inspiration from different things. So, you know, the best, the best writing involves a lot of stealing and I'll just be like, Oh, Oh, I love that. I want to pull that in. And that gives me an idea for this. And it might be totally unrelated. You know, it could be, watching a John Grisham adaptation. I'm like, oh, that, I like how they did that. I should do something like that. So you kind of like pull inspiration from all sorts of different places. And after a few months, you better be ready to go or the idea is going to get stale or change or something. I think, I think there's like a point at which the cheese turns a little too stinky, you know? <laughs> Okay, should we answer one more question or should I like invent a lightning round for you to answer? Ooh, lightning round. <laughs> okay. You guys, if you have any burning questions, you can ask me at the, at the table. Okay. Um, there's a lot of you. We should send some books. Yeah, I think we're doing... Are we okay on time? Okay, okay great. Cool. All right, I'm just going to make this up on the fly. I was not prepared for this. Harry Potter or Jurassic Park? Oh, Harry Potter. What? Yes. I don't even know why I compared those two. <laughs> Would you rather always have breath that smells like onions or always be wet? 
I guess onions, because that's someone else's problem. <laughs> like yours. But I feel sorry for you. That's really oh, funny. Yeah. ABW. Yeah, um, okay. Um, all right. This is hard to do on the fly. I am, I'm, I'm working. Okay, I'm okay. You, the audience could provide lightning questions, too. Yeah, you guys can also, you can throw something out there if you want. But then it's not really lightning-y, I right? Know, I know. Though I'm not being very quick about this either. Would you rather be hot or cold? Uh, cold, because I can put on a sweater. Okay. <laughs> hot, I can't do anything but sweat. Would you rather um, have a panlupticon in your house or the ability to fly? Mm. Panlupticon. Yeah. Because flying is slow and you get hit with pelicans. <laughs> Very specific. Would you rather have hair that wouldn't stop growing or never be able to read again? I do have hair that won't stop growing. I have to cut it like every six weeks. Wow. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> but these are funny questions. You know, like quickly. I, would, I think what I meant I mean, was I would really take... quickly, like so quickly you couldn't keep up with it. Oh, wow. That would be a problem. I guess I would sacrifice reading. Really? In that case. So quickly I couldn't keep up with it. Think about it. <laughs> How would yeah. I eat? He might get like suffocated by hair. I could get books on tape <laughs> and still have normal hair. It's okay, guys. Can I write? Someone else edits my books. I just dictate them like Henry James or something. I always wondered how, you know, like sauntering around your hotel suite, like dictating to someone who's got a typewriter. What a life. I can't do that. Would you rather spend the rest of your life as a plant or never be able to listen to music? Um, music. Really? Well, what would I... <laughs> they're, they're both terrible choices. How do you feel about it? <laughs> he loves the Grateful Dead, so... Yeah. Um, let's take, like, two questions from the audience. How about that? How did we meet? We met at uh, WonderCon, Wonder <laughs> which is like a derivation of Comic-Con with fewer comics. So um, the first time I met him was as a result. We were both doing an, like a signing. We we're doing separate, totally different events. Our books both came out in the same year. We debuted in the same year. So we were at a lot of like the same events and stuff. And um, I had just done a signing for... <clears throat> mysterious galaxy and um i just i wanted to buy a book to support the bookstore and i was like you know i'd like to buy a book from you guys and thank you for everything and uh what do you recommend and um the bookseller was like oh this is a really great book miss peregrine's for peculiar children and the author is standing right over there you can get him to sign it for you and um and that was how we met <laughs> the first time we met yeah that's nice Yes. <laughs> oh, wow. That's my favorite book of hers is always whatever she's written most recently because it's brilliant and I'm like I fall in love with them as she's writing them. My current favorite book from her is the one she's writing right now, which only two people in the world have read her editor and this friend of ours right here. And it's lovely, but I can't tell you anything yeah, about it. It's not it's like super can't talk about it but yeah. thank you yeah that's your working title <clears throat> it's super, super, super can't, can't talk, talk about, about it, it. <laughs> <laughs> um i feel exactly the same way about you whatever you write is my favorite thing 
Like I just, I, I've, I've loved every single, and you know, it's very stressful. Like I'd never read his books before, you know, this. And I was like, man, I gotta, I hope I like his books. This is going to be very awkward. <laughs> and, um, you know, you don't want to spend the rest of your life lying to someone. And that was so good. <laughs> that would have been really difficult to maintain. <laughs> Forever. Um, no, you're an amazing writer. He's an amazing writer. I don't know if you guys know this. I don't know if you know, like, have you ever read his books? Or This isn't um, usually how my events go. <laughs> very self-deprecating this is difficult for me no he's truly an amazing eloquent elegant writer and he just gets better with every book and i'm i say this with with absolute bias but um but i really do think conferences like you know is currently my favorite though tales will always have a special place in my heart tales was like a really what are you doing <laughs> Take your video. Keep going. Ransom Riggs is the best. What? He's my favorite author. Um, I would, I would, if I had to choose just one author to read for the rest of my life, I would choose Ransom Riggs. So, I hope you buy his books. They're great. That's great. Um, Thank you, guys. And enjoy. No, really, though, enjoy conference. It's really one of my favorites. And the next one's even better, you guys. So hold on to your hats. Well, well, it's only halfway done, so it could get much worse. (laughs) I'm writing it in the van as we go from city to city. So sometimes it's really bumpy. Sometimes I'm like, there was another gas station. Very inspired by my surroundings. There was an oil well and a cow when driving through Texas. <laughs> oh, it's great. Thank you. Okay, guys, I think we better sign some books. Thank you so much for coming out. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate it. We'll see you at the table.